Hello and welcome to another episode of the Project Purple Podcast. I'm Dino Varelli, founder and CEO of Project Purple. And today we're back in the podcast studio. We've got a special guest for everyone coming all the way. We're, we're going international once again, all the way from just south of Montreal, Patrick and I'm gonna I'm gonna do my best to pronounce your last name here. We just I, I did it before we hit record. Lang Lao. Did I say that correctly, Patrick? It's okay. It's Langlois, <laughs> but that's that's perfect. That's that's, that's that's just fine. That's Lang, an, yeah, Luau. Langlois. Langlois. I take pride in, in in you know being Italian, and my real name uh, is you know Sandino Varelli. I take pride in hopefully pronouncing people's names correctly because that's so important. So I apologize for uh, for making that mistake. Thank you for joining us here on the Project Purple Podcast. Well, thank you for having me. So as we always do, um, this is complimentary, um, traditional with all of our podcast guests, is we always give our guests the first segment. Um, and I always tell our guests, uh, this is your opportunity to share your story, what brings you here today. And you can go as far back, you can stay as high level as you want. And with that, Patrick, the mic is yours. Thank you. Um, I guess we could go as far back as a few weeks ago when you reached to me, and I thought this was a an excellent opportunity for me to speak about uh, my my condition, but mostly about my journey. All right, or as I like to call it, my adventure with death. Uh, it's the way I see it. It's not my first time that. I had a close encounter with death about 30 years ago. I was part of a lar a big car accident and I almost died. Um, but I got out and uh, got some facial, uh, call it uh, reconstructive surgery, plastic surgery. Um, and fortunately, I didn't have any broken bones or uh brain uh, injury so it kind of went uh pretty well for for a car accident i wasn't even driving um, uh, the uh thing is when usually people have a relationship with death they they all it's always at the first degree uh, sorry at the second degree I and mean, you know someone who was taking away from you but when you have a first degree relationship with death, it's become very, very personal. It's very, very different. And um, I didn't realize at the time because I was in my 20s and didn't uh, realize outside of a couple of lessons uh, about life and about uh, how precious it was and how fragile it was. Uh, it did give me skills that I didn't have then or a certain sense of, um, how should I say, grit that helps you go forward and take more risk. And I find that 30 years later, when I was diagnosed last year um, with pancreatic cancer, that these skills uh, are very helpful. They help me tackle this, um, this condition. I'm a, I'm a true believer that whatever happened to you is 20% context and 80% how you react or act on it. So for me, it was the same thing. When I got the diagnostic, um, I got the result from the um, uh, biopsy and told me that it was cancer. And even at the point, they said, well, we can't even operate you. So you'll have to go on chemo for a while until we, um, we can even consider operating it because it sits on the head of the uh, pancreas. It was actually large, but the size of a large egg and um, 
I I figured this is the 20 percent. Things happen. Shit happens. This is really uh, what's happening. But the rest. Uh, it belongs to me. I can control how I react. Now I act on it. Of course, I was angry. I went through the various stages of, um, how do you call it? Uh, the, the five stages of the, of, um, grief, denial, depression, denial, yeah. then negotiation, depression, and finally acceptance. It took me a few weeks, uh, to go through all these, uh, these emotion but when i talked to my sur- my uh, specialist um after about a month because they were getting everything ready for me to get start chemo we talked about the plan what we're going to do and we say okay these are going to be three months um cycles are you going to go through chemo then we're going to check it do a scan and then we'll see we'll reevaluate i work in it so I love a plan and I love when things are moving. So I told the specialist, I said, fine, let's go. You do it. You believe it's worth it. He said, well, the odds are about 30%, but yes, we should do definitely do it. So I got in touch with an oncologist. Fortunately, there was a oncologist, uh, an oncology ward uh, in my hometown. So this is where I get my treatment. And um, it was kind of funny because we, we, we met once. We talked on a, on, a, an, on a phone call and then she went to on maternity leave. So I had to change my oncologist after a couple of weeks. And uh, we started the plan and we haven't stopped since then. The good news is it's not metastase. The, uh, the, so the tumor is self-contained. And it has shrunk almost 70%, but it's still unoperable. So we're still doing the chemo. And what I've learned in this experience above everything else is not only it takes grit to do um, what I'm doing, but it takes resilience. And I discovered there's three types of resilience. The um, physical resilience, which I am fortunate to have because this is really, really, really tough chemo. I mean, I got uh, almost six months of full Forinox. And then I'm on uh, Gemzar since then, since uh, February. And uh, my oncologist told me, he said, look, take, take it as you're running a two-week marathon, then you go to a boxing ring, uh, boxing ring. Then you get punched in the face, you fall down, you have to get up and run another marathon, and then get punched in the face again. Your job, that's my job, is I have to make sure that I'm ready within the next treatment to get punched again. So that's what I've been working for. I'm not allowed to lose too much weight, which is which was very, very strange for me because I always had a weight problem, gaining weight, and now I had the inverse problem. I lost a lot of weight, and um, I gotta make sure that my energy level are up enough to get the treatment. So I'm working out almost every day. So that's the physical aspect of it. There's also intelligence uh, resilience. So that's where you can compartmentalize all the the various aspects of what you're doing, where you are, how you're you're, you're doing it, and rationalize the the how and the why because one of the common thing that i've seen especially with uh, my peers because i mean there's a whole bunch of people uh, in the in, in the oncology war and we talk 
is why is this happening to me? Not how, not how I got it, but why? Like, like the profound spiritual why. And you have, to rash, you have to be able to rationalize this or else it just creeps up on you. Lastly, it's the emotional resilience. Something that I discovered re quite recently because of how long these treatment is, is taking. If you imagine it's hard to be on COVID uh, um, restriction for a year. Imagine having on top of that cancer and it's still there. It's, it's, it's not going away fast. I thought I was going to be in a three to six month program, but this is looking more like a, well, we're already almost past the 12 months. So it's probably a 15 to 24 month thing. Uh, so you have to be able to cope with that from an emotional standpoint, which is very, very difficult. Um, so you have to build your emotional res resiliency, which is an interesting journey. I, I found these, um, all the aspect of this journey is, is, is really for me, it's, I take them, it's like an adventure. It's a journey. It's something I'm looking. Um, I'm, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm looking forward to, but when I get out of this, one way or another, I'm going to be a bigger man than I was when I entered. So that's pretty much my story. So I want to jump in here. I, I took a whole page of notes here as you were talking. A couple questions, though, before I get to my notes here. Health-wise, before you were diagnosed, I know you said you had the um, first degree uh, or you know the really bad accident 30 years ago. But prior to being diagnosed, uh, you know, with this disease, was your health? I know you said you, you know, you had an issue with weight. So, were there any other underlying health issues prior to? And and my second part of this question is, how did you find out? Like, what were the signs? Like, was it, you know, what were the signs and symptoms that kind of creeped up, or was this something that was just kind of uh, just popped up one day? All right, um, I started losing weight. November 2019 but that's something I decided to do to start mm -hmm. losing weight so I eating less eating healthier and I started losing weight around just before the pandemic my wife noticed that my eyes were <laughs> getting yellow so I went to my doctor and diagnosed I said you get jaundice so it's either three things. It's either hepatitis, hepatitis, I can't find my word. Uh, it's either um, uh, stones and gallbladder. Yep, gallstones. Gallstones, or it's a, a it's a tumor. So I said, I'm not taking any chance. My, my, my family doctor was really, really good at that. Uh, he didn't take any chances. And he went, and I went for a scan. I went for a blood test, the whole works. And after the test came back, they saw a tumor hmm. on the pancreas head. So he contacted uh, the lead research head at the Montreal uh, university um, hospital, Dr. Uh, Roy, and uh, he decided to take me as a patient. And we, we went for a, uh, a biopsy. Also, he put a stent so I can, my gallbladder could be free to, again, because it was actually uh, putting pressure, blocking the, um, the gallbladder. And uh, then I got the result of the biopsy and they say, okay, it's cancer. So prior to, I mean, life was... And that was like March, April. So everything happened, with, I say, within a month and a half. Yeah. That's since quick. Since I started Jaundice, 
and uh, I got my first treatment. I I, I got John. I I was the uh, I wait a minute. My wife saw it around the mid mid March, mm-hmm. and by mid May I started my chemo treatment. And this was all during COVID too, as well through twenty twenty. Yes. So, um, but before that, let's go back to 18, 2018, 2015, you had no health issues, nothing that, nothing, I mean, I say health issues, when I, when I, I guess for the audience listening, when we talk about health issues here, we're, we're talking about anything major that would require hospitalization or medication or anything that nope. beyond the norm. So there was no issues. No, nope. not even a cold. Wow. I, I, so there, you know, to to be seen, and, and we've had guests from Canada on before, and I know that the health system's a little bit different than it here's than it is here in the United States. And you know, with these uh, differences, sometimes that can be a challenge. You know, to get someone to see someone right away, to get procedures done. So that's awesome that you were able to see. And and you know, the reverse of that, Patrick, is I know here in the United States, there's a big problem. Even though we don't have, you know, centralized medicine, but you know, patients go misdiagnosed for months, for months, you know, and they get kind of bounced around until they finally see, you know, a GP, a general practitioner, or a specialist that identifies it as pancreatic cancer. You know, and in, in fairness to the doctors and the physicians and clinicians, you know, sometimes the symptoms are so vague, but you know, it's it's powerful to hear your story where your your GP you know, identified it right yes. away and got you to a specialist immediately, which is awesome. It's awesome to hear that. I, I got the same family doctor uh, since what, mid-90s, early 1990s. So, I mean, uh, he's known my, he's known me for almost 30 years. So, uh, this is, uh, well, one of the important part is really that relationship with your, your GP uh, family doctor or whatever you can want to call it. And uh, he knows who you are, your history and your parents' history. I mean, yeah. he also was, was the uh, family doctor from my parents. Wow. So, uh, and, and I don't think I'd be alive today if it wasn't for his quick wits about spotting on and say, okay, this could be, this could be, this could be mm-hmm. this. Let's check everything. Let's not let's not waste any time. Boom. Is there a family history of cancer in the family, Patrick? My my on my mother's side, yes. Um, uh, she had ovarian uh, cancer, and uh, I got a couple of aunts and on my mother's side that uh, I think two of them had pancreatic cancer. Uh, oh, by the way. Uh, one of the things that uh, they suggest me at the, at the hospital was to take a genetic marking test yep. that was, I was sent go there. to the U.S. Yes, and it came back negative. Okay, they didn't they didn't try they didn't find any any genome uh, that were marked for uh, pancreatic cancer. That's a good bad thing, right? I mean, um, it, it's awesome that. You know, I know here in the United States, it's it's mandated now uh, that anyone who comes in that has pancreatic cancer gets genetic testing because we've realized that ten percent of the cases, you know, are from some sort of genetic mutation, and especially and, for my children. I yeah, mean, huge. if I forgot the gene and I pass it on, yeah, I mean, they should know and they should get tested. Correct. Correct. And and you know that knowledge is power, right? And and there's a lot happening in the genetic space. Um, you know the good. The other good thing is we do know uh, there was just an article that came out yesterday as we record this that talked about you know a new therapy for genetic testing, uh, for for not genetic testing but for these genetic mutations that are responsible for pancreatic cancer and and the positive of the treatment working well in a in a study, um, which again leads to uh, hopefully more therapeutics. And and that, you know I'll just say this on the genetic piece and and we'll leave it at that. You know what? What the science is doing in that space is so critical to the rest of the space because if they can identify triggers within this subset of the population that get the disease, on when they get the disease, and how they get the disease, well, that will hopefully open the door up to the general population. Absolutely. Um, and the same goes for treatments, right? If we can identify things that work within this genetic mutation population 
for the betterment of treatment that that actually do work, well, then again, that opens the door for the general population to potentially learn from that experience and learn from those treatments that are working and and hopefully bring those over to, you know, all cases. So it's it's really exciting stuff. And there's a lot that's being done in that space. Um, it, clearly, it's not happening as fast as we want it to. But I think, um, you know, time will tell over the next five to 10 years, you know, to see where hopefully that slingshots and, and we see more and more advances in the genetic piece. My next question here for you. Go ahead. No, I, I just, uh, I wanted to jump in here. You talk about the mindset a bit. You mentioned mindset and just from hearing you, you know, you started your journey off with, you know, you had a bad accident 30 years ago, you know, going through that experience changed you, um, you know, maybe prepared you not to put words in your mouth, but for this experience. And then you talked about, you know, uh, the emotional resilience, the, the uh, you know, the why on why this was happening from a mental standpoint, where do you think that comes? Just the mindset that I'm you, not sure. Well, the, you mentioned oh, where, where does it, my, my man's uh, uh, mindset comes from? Yeah. Well, I've always been a positive kind of guy. And, um, the thing is, um, I've always, when I was younger, much younger, I, I was never really a go-getter and maybe it was family uh, upbringing. Maybe it's part of our culture here in Quebec, Uh, but people tend to dislike people that, how should I say? It's very, it's almost the opposite of the United States. And I'm talking about back in the seventies where, uh, a self-made man is well viewed in the U.S. As in Quebec, it wasn't as much well viewed, especially when I was a kid. But the car accident showed me life was too short not to go and seek your dreams. And I said, these are the goals that I set myself for life. And I'm going to go and get them. And I did. And I'm very proud of what I've accomplished professionally. Uh, personally, my marriage, my kids. I mean, I wanted to have a family. I wanted to have a career in IT. I wanted to be successful. I wanted to start my own company. And uh, I did it. And I was really, really uh, proud of that. And I realized when I got cancer, I said, okay, this is another challenge. This is something new uh, that I have to tackle. And I don't have the control on the what and the when or the why. I just have to deal with it and know where's my part in it. I mean, I, 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 I got my oncologist and my specialist and we talk every month. I mean, not the three of us, but uh, I have a discussion with my oncologist and, and I tell her, it's okay, your job is you have to find me the right formula for my type of cancer and make it sure it stick. My job is making sure that I'm ready to receive that poison that you're going to give to me. And said we and and we agree on each uh, on each job. And I like that. I mean, it, we're part of a t- I, I and we're part of a team. I'm not a victim. I'm part of a team, and we have a goal. And um, this is it's it's really a, a, a question of. To answer your question, to answer your question, um, this is something that happened in my, uh, when I had my accident. Realizing that life was way too short, and I had to, I had to go and get what I wanted in life. And that's really where uh, that's really where it started. I also realized that when you surround yourself with people that are negative that find problems to all your solution, uh, they bring you down. So in my 30s, I got rid of all these people in my life and I surrounded myself to people that are even more clever than me. Make sure that they complete the skills I lack I lack uh, to be able to attain my goals or help them attain their goals. And that's what I'm doing with my doctors. I mean, they're much cleverer than I am. They know much 
much more about this condition, but I got my part in it. And I'm going to make sure that I give them all the condition that I can so that they can be successful. So we can all be successful. Does that make any sense? It makes 120% sense. And, and it's so, so powerful that what you just said, and hopefully our audience listening at home caught it. I mean, you know, you, you can listen to a lot of self-help people and they always, you know, one common theme is, you know, the people you hang around with are the six, you know, the people that are the six people that are closest to you really define a lot about you. Right. And, and I think when you go through any type of turmoil, you know, and it really is the team that's around you, that's going to help you get through that turmoil. And, and, you know, this is something, you know, we, we've done a couple podcasts and where this has come up and this is one of my questions, you know, is just the, the team, you know, because we hear a lot about, you know, you just said, you know, surround yourself with positive people because you, you want that positive outcome. And when you got diagnosed, you surround yourself with really, really good doctors, really smart people that know a lot more about the disease than you do. And I think a lot of times, at least here in the United States, what happens, Patrick, is and and I just had this conversation and I just went on a Twitter rant myself just the other day because I, I had a family reach out to us and you know the doctor that they dealt with just they didn't click. Um and it was from one of the the most reputable centers here in the United States, cancer centers, you know, and that's why they went there. They they expected to get someone that, you know, but uh you know, the the person just did not click with them. And and you know, there's a big problem here, I think, in the United States with our healthcare system where, you know, I get it. These doctors go through, you know, an extensive amount of training, but they're just like any profession. There's some really, really good doctors that are in your court um, or in your corner, I should say, um, that become part of your team, that are empathetic, compassionate, ask you how your day was, um, care for you genuinely. And then there's some doctors that, you know, just don't get it. And, and, and they don't do those things. And I, and that's something that I just don't understand. And so um, I think what you just said is just really powerful because, and you know, this is, I know it's hard sometimes for patients to realize like, hey, they, they've got to go and find another doctor potentially, or, you know, uh, maybe even, you know, tell friends, hey, like, you know, your, your toxic energy right now, you know, with what I'm dealing with is just not working for my lifestyle. That's, that's a hard thing to do sometimes, um, but it's critical to have people in your corner that one, that rise you up, bring you up, um, regardless of the situation and that are fighting for you. That's the speed of trust. Um and um, that's one of my uh, that's one of my uh, abilities and one of my skill is to be able to build that that that, that level of trust among people. I mean, there was a, a point where the oncologists and the specialists were not exactly weren't um, agreeing on 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 something. I don't want to get into the detail, but uh, I could sense some tension. So I told my oncologist to say, look. I'm going to talk to, I'm, I got a meeting with a, with, a, with a specialist and I'm going to try to clear the air, making sure that we all under, and we're all on the same page and we understand where do we go from now. And I had a discussion with, with my specialist and he was very open about it. And um, he talked to the oncologist after and everything was much smoother after. And I could sense that there was a, a heightened level of trust between them afterward. Mm -hmm. So the, these are the, the, I mean, we're all human. And uh, I know, I know, I know doctors, they sometimes consider themselves that they might be uh, at, on, a, on a higher plane of existence yeah. uh, due to their training, but, but still it's, it, 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 it's still something that, that we're part of a team and we have to make sure that we work together as a team mm -hmm. and, and, uh, and, and, and get this thing more. Even I even told my, uh, my I think if I told my, my specialist, I said, you know, even if it doesn't work out, we would have done everything we could to make sure that we had the winning condition to make it so. It's powerful. And, 
And I got to say also, one of the things, I have to mention this, I have an extremely supportive family, which is great because I don't have to worry about how they're handling this, the, the situation. I mean, we all, we, I mean, we all went to the grieving process in the beginning, but we're okay with it. We're moving forward. We're, 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 we're doing the, the road work and, uh, and everybody's fine with this. It's, it's powerful stuff. You mentioned before, and this kind of goes into what we were just talking about, but you said there was a point where you were at acceptance and before that you weren't. Um, what was the tipping point of that? Was there something that happened? Was it a, you know, something just clicked? Um, I kind of call it like a, again, like a tipping point um, that allowed you to accept the reality of that. I'm, I'm a guy that's driven by facts and numbers and science. So I didn't question the diagnostic, but before the diagnostic, I was really hopeful that it wasn't so. There was a small chance it could be something else. could be that, could be that. And I sort of fall into that delusion that it was something else. Other than pancreatic cancer? Yes. Okay. And, but when the specialist got the report from the biopsy, I mean, all the facts were there. There was no more denying for me that this wasn't happening. But until that point, I was still hoping it was something else. I didn't want to face it. But then I said, okay, I could go on rambling, denying it. And trying to get another opinion, which will only make things worse. I said, okay, screw it. Let's do it. We have to make a plan. And we, and, uh, we have to execute that plan. So the tipping point for me was really when I got the call from the specialist and got the result. After that, I mean. What was I going to say? You got the wrong result. It was from somebody else. You guys don't know what you do. I'm going to go on Facebook and get myself diagnosed by somebody who doesn't, uh, who doesn't know what he's doing. No. no. So for me, it was really, really the tipping point. Uh, and it happened within a, as I said, within a couple of weeks of knowing that there was something wrong. I went through all those phases. So was that the same point? I know you mentioned before, you know, um, the mental aspect of it and that emotional resilience. Was that tipping point the same time when you were just like, and I think you said, you know, why is this happening to me? Just like, okay, like you accept it and just kind of move on and not even think about it. Well, I went back to anger. I mean, you know, this is not linear. Huh? You, go, yeah. you go back to anger. Like, Jesus, why does this happen to me? Why? I even went to a point, was it, I think it was last summer. I said, I made sure that I was, I'd be able to take care of everybody around me. The plan was anybody could get sick but me. That was a, that was that that was my plan. I mean, that's the plan I've had in my mind for the last twenty-five years. Of course, I got insurance, making sure, and then uh, that 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 uh, I, I I don't get kicked out of my house. Um, but uh, the plan was, I was going to provide for everybody in my family if something happened. But I didn't expect that it was going to happen to me. So that was uh, that was a real setback. As far as the emotional resiliency, that happened this year in February, when I changed um, treatment. I was get I was actually 
um, getting pretty well, I should say, the machine was oiled, really well oiled for the Fenferinex treatment. I knew exactly when I was going to get my my side effects, what meds to take, even at almost at what time. I said, okay, on Saturday morning, I gotta take this pill, this pill. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have nausea. I'm gonna have diarrhea. I'm gonna take this pill, this pill, this pill. And I was at a point where I could even, I could predict the side effect and. Um, and and uh, making sure that they didn't happen, which was it, it, w- it was actually nice. The 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 girl at the young onco- the girls at the oncology ward were really impressed. How how especially the um, the pharmacist said, "You're doing this like this is the, the the best way of doing this." But when I changed treatment from Feldferinux to uh, Gemzar, that got th- thrown away whole new set of side effects and the treatment were every week not every two weeks so that really threw me off and i started getting depressed and exasperated it said this is will never end this is like something that this is too much for me this is this is overwhelming i mean i can't go and relearn a whole new set of side effect and readjust my way of living with with this treatment again very discouraged and it was winter and i don't know if you know but in in canada winters are tough winter winters are tough and you couldn't get out and oh god it was depressing and i didn't have energy and 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 i had like one of the long um long-standing effect of felferinox is the numbness on the fingers and um, I got that, but it's getting better, but it's going to take months, maybe years, uh, if it ever get, comes back. So couldn't play video games because of them, the numbness. And I said, what am I going to do? I got nothing to do. And you're stuck in your basement. You don't know what to do. And you got these new side effects. You get sick. Yeah, I'd say, oh, God. And... This is where I discovered it said this is a this is something new. This is so long. It's been happening for so long. I have to build this emotional resiliency to to ensure that I can cope with this. The fact that it's getting so long. Because I mean, obviously, I got around the the, the side effect. Even my body. It's getting better adjusted to the to the side effect of of uh, gems are but and uh, i know exactly well, now i can tell you that i know exactly what pill to take at what day and and at almost at what time to make sure that i, I don't feel sick and i mean the first treatment i got i, I ran a high fever on two, 48 hours after the treatment and i was hospitalized for two days i don't you don't want to be stuck in the in the hospital during a pandemic. It's really, really not fun. And I was stuck there for two days, antibiotics, sample this, sample that, blood work, you name it. They couldn't find anything. After a couple of treatment, we realized that this was normal. Every 48 hours after the treatment, I was running a fever. So I told the, I, I told the, the, um, the pharmacist has said, I'm going to take two Tylenol. I'm going to go to bed. If Monday morning, I don't feel any better, I'll go to the hospital. <coughs> she said, okay. And we've been running, we've been running that since then. Which is perfect because I, I really don't like getting, going to the hospital for, for a couple of days. Well, no, that's not enjoyable. It's it's fascinating what you just said, Patrick, um, because I think you know, I think it, I think all patients at some point, and I, and I just look back at my personal experience, and I guess I look back at the experience of interviewing so many fighters through this journey that there comes a point at some point where everyone has acceptance, and I, I think it's a powerful thing because. 
Some find acceptance early on. Some find acceptance at the end. Um, and, and I'm sure some never do. Um, but I think it's, it's powerful when you find that acceptance because you can do things to help yourself. And, you know, I think that's hopefully our audience listening at home, hearing you, you speak and what you're saying is, you know, like you get the routine, very systematic about it. You switch to chemo, you get back on that routine. And then again, you're able to, to do these things. Um, and live. And I know for you, and, I, and this is something I wanted to talk about, you know, social media, you know, this is how we connected via social media has been kind of a positive outlet for you um, with regards to your treatments. So I, I wanted to just talk about that and, and the impact. I mean, it, it's kind of a, a, a catch-22. Before you do, before yeah. you do that, there's something I want, I want to mention. What you're talking about, the acceptance, there's a lot about control and i mean the difference between being in control and being controlling what i've witnessed uh, a lot of the patients that are people that are in control or 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 should i say that the people that are controlling Mm -hmm. they try to control every aspect of the disease the doctor the the nurses the treatment and they can't, and it doesn't work. And that just aggravates everything. But when you're in control on your emotions, on um, how you react and how you act, this is where it becomes very, very powerful. This is where you can actually decide, okay, I'm going to take everything that's out of my control. I'm going to park it. And then I'm going to work on the things that I do have control on. I can, can control what I do at home. I can control uh, what I eat uh, when I take my medication, how, how I feel, if I get energy, uh, how do I deal with that? So there's a lot of that. There's a lot of that. And I think that acceptance is a, is a big part of, of that. So as and I talk to the nurses and they say, people that are trying to control everything, they have a hard time with their, with their treatment. And when you, you, you can let that go, this is where acceptance kicks in. You, you hit the nail right on the head and it's so powerful. I mean, I know you said, you know, 80% of how you react and 20%, you know, is just, it is what it is. And you know, if <laughs> I'm giggling here, not at, not at you, but you know, if we look at society, if we worried, if everyone just worried about what you can control, not everything else, not everyone else, <laughs> and the things that are out of your control, how better of a society would we be right now? Just think about that. But when, absolutely <laughs> right. But you know, I think when it comes to cancer, and so this, and this is great that you brought this up. You know, we talked about trust before about that trust and that doctors, right? So think about this, and and I I don't want us to answer this, but if if you have a hundred percent trust in your doctor, and you know, regardless of you know whatever it may be, then there shouldn't be a control issue, right? Like you shouldn't have to worry about that control of your care because you have trust in your physician. So maybe that's, and, and I don't know if this is the answer to this question or this, this challenge that we experience as a society and as a community, but if you don't trust your doctor, then can you really give up that control and then worry about the things that you can control? Now you can control like, hey, if you don't like the doctor or if the doctor doesn't give mm-hmm. you the right answers, then you can either ask a question or go find a doctor that will give you those answers to your questions and your concerns, right? Maybe that's step one. But it, it is so powerful um, because at the end of the day, um, you know, you you have to worry about you and what you can control. The things that are out of your control, like you, the, there's not really much you can do to change those things. And, and, and sometimes you, you may have some criteria to build that trust, but in certain circumstances, you you have to make a leap of faith. Say, I'm going to jump in and, well, 
if 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 I was wrong, it's too bad. I'll 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 readjust, but I can't wait to have all the information or all the criteria met met to uh, to have that level of trust. You guys should say, okay, I just have to get. I mean, think about it. My my specialist and my specialist, I actually met because he operated on me. He, he did an uh, endoscopy. Um, but my um, my oncologist, I've never seen. We've only talked on the phone. It's very difficult hmm. to say. Okay, I'm gonna make. Uh, I'm I'm gonna trust that person with my life. But at one point, I said, okay, I'm gonna have to make a leap of faith and say I'm gonna give her the mandate to take care of me, and I'm gonna trust what she's gonna do. And that takes a lot of self confidence to do that. It's very, it's, it's very, very hard. Powerful. We've talked a little bit about this and I, before we get to the social media aspect, since we're talking about this, I want to stay kind of in the same realm. How is it dealing with COVID? You know, we've had this pandemic. I mean, Canada has, uh, has been similar, uh, but I think there's been some differences. I think you guys are still in a little bit of a lockdown. Um, you know, and, and I know with, you know, we've had patients come on that have, you know, dealt with it here in the States, but how's that been, you know, being diagnosed treatment, you just mentioned your oncologist, like you never really got to meet them. Uh, but you know, you're dealing in this co I put this in air quotes, this COVID reality of how we are treating patients and how patients are getting treatment for this disease. Um, it's going to sound strange but it's the perfect cir set of circumstances to stay away of getting sick from anything. Hmm. It's not really fun because you did, you, well, you can go out, but um, I mean, I don't remember um, before the, uh, I, um, I think it was last fall, between March and fall, I wasn't even allowed to get out of the house at all. And that wasn't COVID. That was because I was immunosuppressed. Yeah. But back in September, they looked at my blood work. They said, we're giving you, um, cause I, I get, uh, shots of, um, Oh God, what's that? It's a, it's, it's, it's a chemical, uh, it's, it's a, um, it's a protein that uh, stimulates your um, your backbone. Uh, uh, the new lasta, bone the, marrow. Yeah, the new lasta shot. It, it, it produces the white blood. It increases exactly. your white blood. Yep, new lasta. So they look. So, so they look at my blood work back in September. I said, "You're not even immunosuppressed at all. Your levels are so high." I said, "Can I go to the store?" I said, "Yeah, you can go to the store." <laughs> so I've only been starting going to the store last since last fall wow and uh, but i have to admit my wife really likes the idea that i don't get to see anybody and i don't get this i get to stay home most of the time which is pretty it's, it's pretty neat for her making sure that i'm i'm safe yeah and uh, and and nothing uh, happened happens to me and i don't get sick but uh, i would say overall it's like a layer on top of uh, of COVID, but we all got our first shot, which is great. Of a, uh, I think uh, my wife got uh, AstraZeneca. The kid got the Pfizer, and I got the Moderna. Moderna, and I'm getting my second shot at the end of the month. Awesome! So that's that, that's going to be awesome. I can stop washing all the um, the groceries yeah i know we're not even supposed to do that anymore but we're still doing it just to make sure yeah well i think you know what you're saying and and this is something we've talked about you know as a society i think people that are immunocompromised and this is i i guess here in the united states i kind of laugh about it in the sense that like they make such a big deal about immunocompromised which is correct but the people that are immunocompromised get it like they take the precautions 
Like they're not going out, they're not going to clubs, they're not going to restaurants. Um, they're taking the precautions necessary. They're not seeing friends. They're not seeing people outside of their immediate family that live in their household. So, you know, and, and I know the media has an agenda and, you know, I mean, that that's where I just, I feel, you know, that, and this is where, you know, sadly here in the United States, and I've been very vocal about this, is that COVID is bad. It, it, it impacts our community as a whole in a very dramatic way. But I feel like we've forgotten about pancreatic cancer and other cancers. You know, with, with all the noise last year with the election and, and all the other, you know, issues that we have as a society, cancer was just kind of like pushed to the side. And in particular, pancreatic cancer, you know, thank God uh, we, we we had Alex Trebek, you know, still being vocal and fighting. And then he passed in November, sadly. Uh, but, you know, he was like the one light in, in the pandemic for the disease. Um, you know, even when RBG, you know, one of our Supreme Court justices passed away, you know, it, it quickly turned from, you know, being a pancreatic cancer issue to a political issue here in the United States, which just was just so heartbreaking for us as a community for pancreatic cancer to see that, you know, we, we didn't get anything, you know, from her death. Um, you know, it was just really, really tough. So, um, you know, it's important that we continue to advocate, raise awareness, um, you know, and make sure that patients aren't lost um, in the pandemic, you know, figuratively and literally as well. So um, it's good to hear that you're, you're dealing with COVID um, and, and things in Canada are looking up, um, you know, with vaccine rollouts and stuff. That's awesome to hear because I, I, I do think this country has done a very good job of vaccine rollout. And, and you know, I know from the patients that I've talked to, they've been able to get vaccines, which is important because that does make a difference for that community. So let's go back to social media. Um, you know, there's, there's, it's a double-edged sword, as I was saying. You know, it, it could be good sometimes, bad. Um, I like to find the good in everything. And, and, you know, I've been able to connect. And full disclosure, you and I connected on Instagram. And I saw your post about, you know, your journey. And, and I know we talked briefly about it before we hit record. But let's talk a little bit about what that's been for you. Because um, you've been very open and, and honest and uh, about your journey on Instagram. So uh, how's that experience been for you? There's two... Two aspects of uh, social media, the way I use it. And one is a journal for myself and also for the people that follow me, uh, especially family member, uh, so that they know where I'm at and uh, what's, what's, been, what's been going on since the last video I made. Uh, and also, I'm trying to put a level of posit uh, positivity on to what's happening. I said, this is not all black and, and grimy stuff. I mean, there are positive aspects of, of what's going on. I got a rather dry sense of humor and I try to post that as well, try to keep things fun uh, and also making things a little light. Um, you know, having a... A deadly disease makes a lot of people uncomfortable. And when you're able to talk about it uh, to other people, uh, it sort of loosened them up. Um, and one of the reasons that uh, it's, it's difficult because when, some, when you see somebody that's really, really sick and, and you talk to them, it makes you face your own mortality. And that's something that a lot of people try to avoid. And I try to, I try to demystify this. It's, death is, is part of life. I mean, I'm in this journey. I really hope I'm going to make it, but there's no guarantee. I may not make it, but it, 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 doesn't, it doesn't matter. I mean, we're, we all have to face our mortality at one point in, in our life. And I think we should face it head on. And that's a little bit what I'm trying to show in my, in my posts and my videos. Um, but uh, as a Canadian, I'm not very loud about it. <laughs> well, Canadians tend to be a little bit more reserved, right? Um, you know, it, it, there's a saying... 
you know, there's two guarantees, death and taxes, right? But some people don't pay taxes, but no one lives forever. And and I think that's something that we, you know, we we talked about the the mental and emotional piece before, and that's a piece that, you know, no one likes to go down. But then the other piece is, you know, the finality and the reality. And we don't all live forever. No one, no one, no one lives forever. And and guess what? Tomorrow's not guaranteed for anyone, regardless whether you That's have. That's what cancer. I learned thirty years ago. Yeah, yeah. But you know, I, it's strange that no one. And I and I don't know if it's. Uh, you know, we talked about acceptance before, and I I think there's a theory on this that I've I've come my own theory. Is like if people accept that finality, then it's like almost like mentally like giving up in a way. But th- that doesn't have to be the case, though, right? Like it, no, we because we have our will to survive. Yeah, that's what prevents us from dying as a species. I mean, even if we acknowledge our own finality, we still strive to stay alive. But if we acknowledge that finality, don't you think, and this is bigger, you know, Patrick here, that then, well, pe- like big. then, then people would realize like how precious every day is and exactly. how important everything that, is. And, and maybe that's too much for everyone to, to comprehend here. That's, that's the point. I, the signs are everywhere. You just have to look for them. Yeah. Sometimes the God or the universe will give you a, a mountain to climb and say, okay, this is, this is where I learn. Do I learn or don't I learn? Mm-hmm. And, and, and then that's, that's a question uh, about these perps um, or their, uh, these, uh, obstacles that are put uh, in front of you but you're you're correct i mean life is precious i mean it took it took a car accident and almost dying for me to understand and i was in my early 20s i mean i know a lot of guys that are in the 50s and they still haven't realized that and they're focusing on the future while things are happening in real time and they're missing on that or the focus too much uh, on the past. It reminds me something uh, my therapist therapist told me. Uh, I did a depression when I was in, in my early 30s, and I learned a couple of lessons there. And he said, you know, life is like driving a car. In front of you is the future. Inside the car is the present, and in the back the is the past. Don't spend too much time looking in the past because whatever is happening in the future is going to hit you today. It's powerful, powerful stuff. I've got a couple questions here for you. Next question is, what advice would you give to someone listening to this podcast? Hindsight, of course, being 2020, but let's say they just got diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. What's the best bit of advice you'd give that person? Find that inner strength in you and surround yourself with people you trust and and start your journey as soon as possible. Don't deny it. Don't, uh, don't, Don't blame somebody else. You own this. And the sooner you're going to jump in it, the sooner you're going to get out of it. Love it. Last question, and then we're going to share where our audience can connect with you. And this is always uh, a hard question. I say it's a loaded question. And there's no right or wrong to this, to, to your answer to this question. How do you define pancreatic cancer what's your definition of it pancreatic cancer 
is based on Baudelaire's poem, The Spleen. A disease attached to uh, a mal de vivre, the, the pain of living. My sister's a poet, and we talked about giving it a name, and I actually gave him a name. It's called Baudelaire, like the author. And we're giving him as much pain as we can to get, it, get that squatter out of me. And for me, this is, it's, it's, it's an image, but uh, he represents really, because uh, most of his poems were about uh, not liking life or hating life or being a victim of life. And for me, this pancreatic cancer is really that and i'm going to get rid of it and i'm going to and i'm i'm going to go on living and be happy it's powerful last piece here someone listening to this podcast they they love what they heard um, something that just really sparked their interest. They want to connect with you. Where's the best place for our audience to do that? I would suggest uh, Instagram. The name is Nikanar, N-I-K-A-N-N-A-R. And that's a pun that I use from my game of Dungeons and Dragons. So don't try to find what the heck is Nikanar. <laughs> I was going to ask um, that question. <laughs> no, it's, a, it's my first character that I played on Dungeons and Dragons. So you can find me at, uh, at Nick and R on Instagram. Uh, I post videos. Uh, as you can see, I love to cook. So uh, especially barbecue. Uh, and I post videos of my uh, different treatment. I even have a, a few Photoshop photos uh, of the, the actual um, oncology ward. And uh, you can uh, you can write me there, leave notes, leave comments, and uh, I'm actually um, open to uh, anybody that would like to discuss uh, pancreatic cancer or anything relevant to, to this podcast um, um, with them. I mean, it would be a, it would be a pleasure for me to share my uh, my thoughts, my experience. Also, I mean. And just to listen, I mean, I realize that the a lot of people that calls me, they take no, they take news how I'm doing, but mostly they tell me about themselves and their problems and what's going on in their lives, and um, I found that very, uh, very fun. Awesome, awesome. Well, Patrick. This has been a great episode. I, I appreciate your openness, your honesty. And, you know, I took a lot of notes here and um, you've just owned it. Um, I just wrote down um, a couple times here, you know, in terms of how you're fighting this disease and accepting of it. I know we talked a lot about acceptance, but that is just so powerful. So I appreciate you coming on the Project Purple podcast and sharing your journey. And I look forward to following your journey um, on social media. And thank you for sharing your journey with our community. Well, thank you for having me. It was really fun. Thank you, Patrick. That's a wrap of another episode of the Project Purple podcast. If you like what you heard today, please follow us wherever you listen to podcasts. Feel free to share this podcast. Until next time, please be safe. That's a wrap of another episode of the Project Purple Podcast. Yeah.